All right, all right, all right. If you could make your way back to your seat, that would be fantastic as we get started here. I am so glad that you are here this morning joining us. And uh, have you ever had somebody say to you, I have some good news? You ever had that? I have good news. No, no, no. I have great news. Have you ever had that? And what is our natural response? Yes. Tell me. Tell me what your good news is. And then they say the words, nope, you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait till after I get off of work. Or, or maybe they say, nope, you're going to have to wait till after I get out of school or whatever the case may be. But those words, you're gonna have to wait. Those six words are such a killer because they develop within us anticipation. This better be really good news. There better be pie involved and we better be going somewhere really cool, okay? We anticipate what's coming. And I have to tell you today that I have been anticipating, um, this is not working guys. So just so you have a heads up, I tested it this morning, but it's not. So there we go. Okay. So I have been anticipating this morning, looking forward to our time together as we get into the word and uh, to get to share with you uh, what I believe the Lord has laid on my heart. Now, as a speaker, there's an interesting thing that happens sometimes for a speaker. Sometimes a speaker thinks that you're all on the same page, that we're all on the same page, that we're all beginning from the same starting point. And, and, and a lot of times that's true, but sometimes it's not. And so today, I want us to have kind of a, not, not so much a sermon, as I want us to have kind of a conversation. And I've got my tea up here, and you have your water right here. And uh, I want you to kind of picture that I'm sitting here at this table, at least for a brief amount of time, and that you're sitting right here, and we're having a conversation, okay? And, uh, and, and I want us today to talk about, I feel like in this series on paradigm shift, that, that there's some things that need to be clarified, okay, for us to understand so that when we talk about context, we're all on the same page. So today, we're going to talk about the context of context, the context of context, just so that we are all on the same page, coming from the same position, going into what we're talking about. The whole idea that it is so important to know what the Bible was saying when it was written so that we can understand what it's saying to us today. So before we go any further, we are going to do what we should always do first. The first thing that we should always do when we read Scripture is pray. First thing. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your presence with us. What, a, what an incredible time. God, I, I honestly could say I, I don't know 
if that was as special to you or as good good for you Lord as it was special to me to be singing and worshiping you and I I pray God that it was a fragrant aroma to you that our praises and our worship rise up to you and now as we spend this few minutes talking about your word and laying kind of the foundation of a context for context I pray that you would speak to us and challenge us and I pray all of these things for your glory father I pray all of these things by your guidance in wisdom Holy Spirit and we pray all of these things in your name Jesus amen Amen. So I want to hit a couple of things really quick. Just, just a couple of brief hits, okay? The first thing when we're talking about context, putting context into context, the first thing that we have to understand is the role of the Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit when we are reading the Scriptures. None of this, none of this works without the Holy Spirit. We have to have the Holy Spirit's guidance and direction when we're reading God's Word, okay? It is the first step to understanding God's Word is us coming to God and saying, reveal the truth of your Word to me. And that happens by the Holy Spirit. That's what Scripture says. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 16. He said this. Jesus said, but when He... The Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. My friends, that's why it is so important that when we sit down to read God's Word, that we are inviting God into the process. Into the process of reading His Word and interpreting His Word. He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The critical thing for you and me to understand is the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. It's imperative imperative that we're inviting God into the process of this our first step in reading scripture is going to God our first step in reading scripture is going to God and inviting God into the process the second thing that I want to share so the first thing's Holy Spirit everybody say Holy Spirit The second thing is that I I fear that I may have kind of led down a path that was a little bit maybe misunderstanding for some people, okay? And what we've been talking about when I asked that question, can, you know, can we really be Jesus followers if we don't really know what Jesus' expectations are of his followers and sometimes we misunderstand? And, and I fear that maybe what came across was that you better do that now. This better right now. Tomorrow at the latest, okay? Now let me clarify what I'm talking about as we talk, because I know, I know that we've looked at the last few weeks like, wow, there's a lot going on here. 
Last week, we talked about the literary lens and the visual lens and understanding what Scripture means to us today by understanding what it meant back then literature, through the literature and through visual, understanding what it looked like. And then there's more lenses to come, and it's like, wow, Doug, you're throwing so much, and there's so many resources that are available. I am not a biblical scholar, and I understand that, neither am I, okay? But here's the thing. If you and I are right here, if this is us right here, and this is God right here, and we're starting right here, I am not saying that we need to be here tomorrow. This is holiness. This is God. And for us to be God-like. And I'm not saying that we move from here to here in an hour or a day. This right here, this is a life journey right here. I want you to think about it this way. When you read the scriptures, when you read the biographies of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospels, when you read that, I love the disciples because all of us here can identify with the disciples they were with Jesus they were with God in the flesh John who wrote one of those biographies said the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us they were with God for three years and they still could not connect the dots. They asked the dumbest questions. Peter said the dumbest things. They, took the, they fought and bickered over who was the greatest right before Jesus is going to die. The disciples for three years were with Jesus and they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. It really wasn't until after the Holy Spirit came, which we just read about, and revealed those things to them. My friends, this right here, this is a life journey. Understanding what the scripture says. When we talk about the different lenses, it's like getting your master's degree or getting, a, getting your degree in anything. It takes time. It takes work. It takes study. It doesn't happen overnight. The thing is that we have to be willing to do the work to learn, okay? And this line isn't always like this, right? In this life journey, Sean pointed this out to me. While we were talking, we were kind of talking about this, right? And if you took a close-up, a snap of this part, whoa, hey, stay okay if you took a snapshot of this part of life right there you would see that it went like this and sometimes it was like this and sometimes it goes like that and sometimes and then you climb up and you did that's how life is but the fact of the matter is that the journey the goal is to always be moving forward in our walk with God Will there be setbacks? I'm not going to blow smoke. Yeah. Yeah, there's going to be times when, when I fail, when I fall. The question is, do I get up? Do I keep moving forward? Do I keep pursuing holiness with God? Do I keep pursuing what God has called me to be and to do. 
which leads us kind of to the next thing. In fact, just taking a moment, uh, as we talk about this whole journey, and we talk about, uh, you know, moving forward in True North, Dr. Dave Smith has four questions he encourages us to ask. And they, they're such great questions as we look at this idea of moving forward, that, that our journey with God is not, you know, is not this thing where it's like, boom, we're there. In fact, the Apostle Paul himself wrote, not that I have already achieved this, but I press on toward the goal. It's a journey, my friends. And Dave Smith in True North, he had four great questions that we should be asking every day. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's a number of different slides that you probably might want to take pictures of because I'm going to go too fast for you to jot them down. But here, here they are. And you know what? Maybe we'll try to make them available on our website and on the app this week. I can't promise anything because I didn't discuss this with anybody, which is what I usually do. Okay, so the first question is this. Am I on a life trajectory that takes me closer and closer to Christ each day? That's the journey. Am I on a trajectory that's moving me closer to Christ? Am I less concerned with being considered in and more focused on being Christ-like? Before I read the word each day, have I prayed to be obedient? When? Before. Last question. Am I willing to say yes even before I know what he is asking? Four fantastic questions. As we talk about that journey that we are on toward Christ-likeness, toward holiness. Four fantastic questions. So, with those two things in our pocket, we've got the Holy Spirit, understanding that the Holy Spirit is the first thing that we do inviting the Holy Spirit into the process of reading God's Word and understanding that what we're talking about in understanding God's Word is that it's a journey, it's a process, and it takes work. So with those in our pocket in this series called Paradigm Shift, we come to the question and the statement has come to the forefront of our conversation in Paradigm Shift. The first question is this, can I truly be a follower of Jesus if I do not know Jesus' expectations of his followers? It's a fair question, right? Can I really be a follower if I, if I claim the name of Jesus, but I just keep living my life the way I want to live it? And I don't know what God's expectations are of me as his follower. And we followed up that qu uh, question with a statement. And the statement is that our ignorance of Scripture leads us to make assumptions and decisions that many times contradict the truth of Scripture and the direction of God's will. Now, those things happen, okay? We clarify those things as we walk on that journey, as we grow in our understanding of what Scripture is saying to us, as we grow in our ability to work, to learn what Scripture is saying and how that impacts our lives. Thank you for letting me have a drink of your water. So, with that in mind, that has kind of led us to a place where some people maybe have taken this, as, as I've asked that question and as I've made that statement, that some people have maybe looked at this and said, well, Doug, 
is what you're talking about a works-based salvation? That if I do the right thing, and I say the right words, and I check off the right boxes, then I can be saved. And I want to be crystal clear about this view. There is nothing, nothing that I can do that will save me. There is nothing that you can do, nothing that you can do, no work you can perform. You cannot earn your way into heaven. You can't. And I've got scripture to back it up. In fact, if you want to take a picture of this real quick, because I'm not going to read these to you. We're all big kids here. We all know how to read, okay? So I'm going to tell you, take a picture of it, write it down real quick. Hopefully we'll get it on the app or the website. But you can look up these scriptures, and they tell you that in and of ourselves, we only make decisions that lead to death. Genesis 3 is a great example of that. Adam and Eve lived in paradise. They had everything they could possibly want. They had one job and one job only of what not to do. And they did it. You know why? Because that's what we do. We're human beings. Left to ourselves, left to our own devices, we will always choose death. And I know, I know, I know, you know, you're going to say, well, I wouldn't do that. I know. Peter said that. Peter said, no, I will never deny you. Time and again in Scripture, we see that. Isaiah, I love Isaiah 64, 6. Isaiah says that our best, our righteousness, the best that we can ever be is filthy rags before God. Now, let's just take a moment and look at that in context and analyze what, what those filthy rags are. And I know some of you are going to go, well, we shouldn't be talking about this in church. He's like, well, it's in the Bible, so I'm pretty comfortable with it, okay? But the term there for filthy rags was the material that women would use when they were on their menstruation period. That which they used to clean themselves up, to keep themselves clean, is what our righteousness is in comparison to God. We will always, always ultimately lead to death. Okay? That's what Scripture says. And let me be clear, let me be clear that we can eternally save ourselves by our own work is incorrect. It is wrong, and it goes against Scripture. There's nothing we can do. There's no way for us to earn our way into heaven. Salvation comes from God and God alone. Salvation comes from God and God alone. Again, all kinds of scripture there for you, okay? 
John 3.16, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 10.9, we see time and again that, that salvation is the gift of God, okay? In fact, right now we're going to hang our hat on Ephesians 2.8 and 9, which some of you are familiar with. Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says this, for it is by what? It is by what? It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. So that no one can boast. Not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to be clear. Our works do not lead to salvation. Our works do not lead to salvation. The only work we can do that leads to salvation is surrendering and submitting to the one who can give us life. And that is God alone. So, I'm going to make it simple for us. I'm going to give us seven words to remember this by, okay? The first four are this. Works are not salvation. Works are not salvation. Say that with me. Works are not salvation. But... I want to make sure we're clear on this. While works are not salvation, works reveal salvation. Works reveal salvation. What we do matters. How we live our lives matters. As followers of Jesus, it's not just what we say. It's how we live that matters. And Scripture bears this truth out. And I know, I know that some of you are going to go, you better, you're walking a fine line there, Doug. It's starting to sound like works-based salvation. And I'm just going to tell you, nothing could be farther from the truth. What we do matters. We are saved by God's love, forgiveness, mercy, and grace. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says that, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And we hang our hats on that and miss the next verse. You want to see what it says? You're going to have to wait till after work. I'm kidding. Verse 10 says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to, to do good works. I'm confused. It's by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Not by your works so that no one can boast. And yet, God, you have the audacity to throw this verse in there. That we are your handiwork. And you created us. What? To do good works. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Which brings us back to this statement. Works are not salvation works reveal salvation how we live our lives reveals to the world around us what we believe 
It's why those men and women in the early church could go into the Colosseum of Rome and be torn apart by wild animals. How they could be beaten and bruised and hung on crosses. Peter, I love Peter's story because it's so Peter. When Peter's about to die, they're going to kill him the same way they killed Jesus. They're going to hang him on a cross and leave him to die. And Peter has the audacity to look at him. And Peter doesn't say, well, you know what? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's all a big joke. Okay. No, I don't want to die. Don't hang me on a That's not what he says. He looks him in the eye and goes, listen, can you do me a favor? I'm not worthy of being killed in the same way as my Savior. Can you, Savior, can you turn my cross upside down just so it's not confusing for people? How could they do that? Because of their salvation. And their salvation overflowed into how they lived their lives. Amen. And we see it time and again. Another group of verses for you that I'm not going to read to you. Except for John, 1 John 2.6. I love that. I love what 1 John 2.6 says. He says that the person who claims to be a Jesus follower must walk like Jesus and these verses these verses talk about that they talk about how we live our lives matters how we live our lives does not lead to salvation it reveals salvation now real quick let me ask you a question let me ask you a question if a person says they have faith in God but doesn't live out that faith with their life. Will that faith save them? It's awful quiet in here. And I know some of you are starting to kind of go, there you go again, Doug. If a person says they have faith in God, but doesn't live out that faith with their life, can that faith save them? Now, I'm going to be really honest with you. That's not my question. I stole that question. You know who I stole it from? <laughs> I stole it from Jesus' brother, James. And I love what one speaker said, what would your brother or sister have to do in order to convince you that they were God? And to be honest with you, James didn't believe that Jesus was God for the first long period of time, but at some point, Jesus' brother James stepped up and realized and recognized that Jesus is who he said he is. He is God in the flesh. And here's what James, Jesus' brother, wrote. He wrote, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can that faith save them? Can such a faith, if a person says they believe in God, if a person says they have Jesus in their heart, but it's not represented in how they live their lives, can such a faith save them? And he goes on in verse 17 to say, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. How am I living my life? Does the way I live my life reveal 
salvation. James goes on to write in verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You can talk all you want, but people are watching how I live. And they will judge me not based on the words that I say, but on the life that I live. And I come back to this, my friends. Works are not salvation. Works reveal salvation. Will you say that with me? Works are not salvation. Works reveal salvation. Say it again. Works are not salvation. Works reveal salvation. I want this to be tattooed on our brain. It is by faith we are saved. It is by God's grace that we are saved. God's grace that we are saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It's not by our works so that no one should, can boast. But we are God's workmanship created by God to do good works. So those works reveal our salvation. So how I live matters. How you live matters. And it's all summed up in one word. It's all summed up in one beautiful word. Do you know what that word is? Anybody have a guess? What do you think it is? What do you think? I, I can't hear you, so I'll tell you. That word is love. That word is love. God, I say this so often, God loves you. If you don't hear anything else I say today, if you don't hear about starting by praying and inviting the Holy Spirit to be part of your scripture reading, if you don't hear me say that we've got to be praying, if you don't hear me say that this is, life is a journey toward God, if you don't hear me say that, that, that works don't lead to salvation, but works reveal salvation, if you don't hear any of that, hear this. God loves you. Everything rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus, which means he had to die. And why did he have to die? Because God loves you. That's why he died. Because God loves you. And our response, my friends, our response to God is not out of fear of hell our response to God is out of love for the one who first loved us if someone saved your life and then took the rest of their life to serve you in your life and only looked out for the best for you how could you not love that person and that's what God's done for you and what God's done for me the Beatles got it right. They got a lot of things wrong. But they got this right. All we need is love. All we need is love. Womp, 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 womp. All we need is love. Sing it with me. Womp, 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 womp. All we need is love. Love. Love is all we need. But what is love? It's a great idea. 
Those three words are easy to say. I love you. I love you. But how do you know when someone really loves you? As the old saying goes, the proof is in the pudding. It's what they do, right? And the Apostle Paul knew that. He got that right. He wrote a whole chapter about it, about what love is. Paul said, if I could speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if I could speak every language on earth, but I don't have love, it's just noise. Paul said, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It's just noise. He said, if I gave my life to save people, but I don't have love, it means nothing. And then he goes on to describe love. And boy, did he describe love. Look at what he says. His love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor other people. It's not self-seeking. It's not always asking what's in it for me. What are you going to do? What have you done for me lately? It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It doesn't keep records of wrongs. It doesn't hold grudges. It doesn't always look back and say, well, last time you. It doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. When something, when, when that person gets a promotion over you, it's not like, oh man, come on. That was it. No, it's like, woo, you got the promotion. I'm so happy for you. It rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Do you realize what that is? That's work. That's work. That is hard work. And if you've been married longer than six months, you know how hard that is. Love is hard work. But our love is revealed not in what we say, because we know that words are what? Cheap. It's what we do. And I'm going to tell you, I've been very blessed in my life because I have had my entire life an example of what this looks like. It's my dad. Some of you have been the beneficiaries of my dad's love, and he didn't necessarily say, I love you. But some of you, he has driven to the Mayo Clinic just because you he didn't want you to drive by yourself some people he's driven to Cleveland Clinic some people he's done things for and I'm going to tell you this this is what I know about my dad my dad will literally drop everything for anyone for any reason to help with anything that's my dad start getting emotional here in a minute and I was thinking about it this morning 
while I was getting ready to come to church and I was thinking about how I wish I was so much more like my dad. Because that right there is love. My dad doesn't have to say, I love you. He shows it. Because that's what love is. Love is revealed in doing. And Jesus was our example. Jesus was our greatest example. Why were the crowds streaming from everywhere? From so far away, Gentiles and Jews alike were streaming to be by Jesus. Why? Because of how he lived. Why was the religious establishment angry? Why did they want to kill Jesus? Because of how he lived his life and how he encouraged his followers to live. So this is the foundation. This is the context of context. This is the context, context through which we study the context of the Bible. Prayerfully seeking the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus as we study Scripture. Not because our works will get us into heaven, but because we are in a love relationship with God. Amen. And I close with this. I love this verse. I love it. Jesus said this. In John 15, 16, Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you. So, would you bow your head with me? Thank you for allowing me this time and this conversation with you to help us all start from the same foundation. That there is nothing we can do to earn our way into heaven. It is only by God's love and God's forgiveness and God's mercy and God's grace. It's only by what God has done that you and I can have salvation. There's nothing we can do to earn it. And God has given us His Holy Spirit so that we can know how to live on this journey of life. Not only giving us wisdom and how to live, but the power to live it out. Because He loves us so much that He said, you did not choose me. I chose you. And for some of you today, you're realizing and recognizing, man, there's nothing I can do to get into heaven. And that everything in my life, everything good, let alone bad, has not put me in a position to get into heaven. And today you're recognizing that it's only through Jesus that you can be saved. There's nothing you can give, there's nothing you can do except for responding to Jesus who said, behold, I'm standing at your heart's door and I'm knocking. If you open that door, I will come in and feast with you and you with me 
that Jesus is the only way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Salvation is only through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're recognizing that today, then it's as simple as just turning your life over to God, what you know of God, and beginning where you are to start living for God. And it starts, it can start as simply as with a prayer. And if this is what you want to do, then I'm just going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. I'm just going to do it slow. And you just repeat the words I say. And I'm going to ask everybody to pray this out loud so that nobody prays alone. So everybody pray this with me, okay? Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sacrificing for me. I realize that I have blown it. And this keeps me away from you. And the only way to you is through Jesus. So I ask you, Jesus, into my heart to be my Lord as well as my Savior. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill me so that I can live like Jesus for your glory, Father. Now, with your heads bowed, some of you have prayed that prayer before, but today you're recognizing, you know what? I kind of went backwards. I started living my life on that timeline of life, Doug, that you drew up there. I'm kind of on the downward. And I realize that right now, I got to get back. I got to start the upward trajectory. I got to move forward in this journey. And the first step for me is recommitting myself to God. Just do that right now. Just you and God. Just pray, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I recommit myself to you in moving forward in this journey. Just pray something like that. Now, if you prayed one of those two prayers, I want to pray for you. If you prayed one of those two prayers, do me a favor, just make eye contact with me, okay? Just, I'm going to look around, and you just make eye contact with me if you prayed one of those two prayers, okay? All right, thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Praise the Lord. Praise God. God is good. Thank you. Would you stand up with me? Stand up with me. God, I pray right now, and I give you glory and honor and praise because we are not living this life on our own. We are not left to ourselves to try and figure it out, but you have done everything for us to be with you, and we celebrate that. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now who, who looked up at me, who made some kind of commitment today, whether it's a first-time commitment or a recommitment. We celebrate that with you, God. And I pray for them now that they would begin this journey wherever they are, and they would begin to pursue you wholeheartedly. God, I just pray that you would protect them from the arrows of the, of the evil one. The Holy Spirit, you would fill them with the joy of their salvation. 
and they would move forward, encouraged to know that you love them. Father, for the rest of us, wherever we are on this journey in life, I pray that we would move forward, recognizing that our works do not lead to our salvation. Only you can do that. But our works reveal our salvation. Let us live lives that are so amazing. Kind of as you said, Jesus, in your Sermon on the Mount, that we are that city on the hill, that we are the salt of the earth, that people will see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. Whew. God, if we live that way, the world will change. Do your work through us, I pray, God. And I pray all of these things for your glory, Father, through your power and guidance, Holy Spirit, and in your name, Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.